This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. I'm Haley Stoddart. Uh, so, Captain Kirk, he has a reputation of being aggressive, tough, bit of a ladies' man, and kind of a rule breaker. Um, but does he really warrant that reputation? What do you think? What do I think? Well... First of all, nice nice concept here because, you know, <laughs> good old Standard Orbit, we, we've been around for five years now, and the sh- series has been out for 50, and we're always trying to find that little nuanced thing that we can talk about. And I know at a high level we've kind of discussed this in different pieces and parts, but the, the idea of exploring his career at a level that can answer that question you know, is, is difficult. So when you, when you tasked me with that, my quick <laughs> reflection is both, well, yeah, and no. How's that for a definitive answer? <laughs> I task you. I task you. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, yeah, I can. I can kind of see where you're going with that. That it's it's a yes and a no. I guess depending on how you're coming at Kirk, the character, this person that uh, how many people have looked up to since they've seen the original series. Uh, how many people look up to him now? Because, I mean, we still have people coming into the original series, right? So, we do. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you can say that, yeah, I, he's a little bit of all of that, I think. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think the whole the whole notion of it, though, is 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 less based in facts and data, right? It's it's definitely something that we've seen evolve, and um, you know that that's kind of what what I saw. I, I saw a very uh, daring captain in the original series where you know unlike you know ship captains today you really are there out all all alone right there's there's nothing to track you to save you whatever so they have a lot more uh, i would say discretion in commanding their vessels especially in TOS would would you say that's true i would yeah i guess you can say it i mean as the pilot series as the first ship going out there, you wouldn't necessarily know if the rules, regulations, uh, 
code of conduct, whatever's going to work. And if you're stuck out there all on your own, I can see it. Okay, a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I liken it to the explorers, you know, in the, in the 13, 14, and 1500s, where, you know, they, they might have three or four ships. Sometimes they're, they're on their own. They're circumnavigating the earth. They don't know who or what's on these islands. They don't even know, you know, they're mapping as they go, kind of like a starship. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that happened in history, both very good and horrific, uh, due to, uh, you know, the discretion of the, the leader of the exploration parties. And I think in, in Star Trek, what they do is they kind of tame it with, you know, great rules like the Prime Directive, which really wasn't in play immediately off the bat in TOS that that kind of evolved and then you had all the general orders but essentially you know it's a it's a it's a ship a navy ship uh, on a mission of exploration with a with a lot of rules and regulations and for the most part it seems like they do their damnedest to follow them right because they know the the damage it can cause basically by understanding earth's own history yeah all right so if we take a look at the original series the movies the new movies, the Kelvin timeline, um, it seems that we go from he follows the rules some of the time, he breaks the rules some of the time, and then sometimes he just flat out breaks the rules, and then sometimes he follows them, and it's it's hard to say, like, I, you can look at some of the episodes and it's like, okay, this episode he's following, and he's, you know, he's towing that line, and then, okay, he's kind of stepping into the gray area, okay, he's way over the line in, like, the next episode. And then it goes back to, okay, he's in the line. He's he's in the white zone. Where do we take this? And how does this help us understand whether we want to say Kirk is a rule breaker or renegade, this rogue captain? Or is he all head on, on board with uh, Starfleet? Well, if you look at it, right, from the TOS lens, he was he was a young but mature captain. Yeah. Um, he was given you know command of a Constitution class starship, and his intent in almost every case was positive. Right? If he was breaking the Prime Directive for you know some of the reasons that are out there, to you know give give the people their own course of history. Right? You're, you're not supposed to interfere, but either through you know a a computer or machine or something that is dominating people, uh, yeah, he he took the um, he took the onus on himself and you know with the Enterprise crew to correct those things uh, to to set things right you know to talk the computer down to have them self destruct with logic or <laughs> maybe even occasionally fire a phaser into its mainframe whatever it was uh, a lot of the cases were to to um, allow people to be free. In other cases, uh, you could you could say that uh, exterior influences other than the Federation, or in some cases directly, you know, from the Federation from past times, he was trying to write a situation that had gone terribly wrong. So I, I I think back to the original series, and I saw a captain who was daring, who prevented a war with the Romulans by having to make decisions because. Timely communications back and forth would never happen, you know, to um, to saving his executive officer's life by getting him back to Vulcan first by breaking rule and then uh, Starfleet coming back saying, yeah, it's OK if you don't go into this flotilla with ships. So I saw 
a captain, you know, who was aggressive, but had a lot of good intent. And I, I couldn't say that he was he was out there cocky, um, immature. There, there was thought and logic behind his decision making, you know, in the auspices of using McCoy and Spock to help set those courses. There, there, I can't think of an episode off the top of my head, really, where there was disagreement amongst him and his senior officers that they, they should have taken the course they've taken. That, that's a high level view of TOS. What are your thoughts there? You know, I can see what you're what you're getting at, and but I can also see the flip side of this. You know, I definitely think that at times he was cocky, and he was making these decisions based off of what he thought was right, rather than necessarily even if it wasn't consulting Starfleet, as as you say, you know, getting communications back and forth sometimes would have taken way too long, and the situation definitely warranted immediate action um there's still some times where it's like nah he could have he could have consulted with starfleet he had possibly the time to do it i mean yes communications were long but uh can we say exactly how long it would have taken someone to get back to him or he could have consulted with his senior staff on some of these choices so i still think there is that cockiness even though he was more mature it's still comes out in in certain episodes and um i think for one the apple is one where i think he was being cocky and he was making a choice not necessarily to better anybody else but just oh i'm i'm just making this choice it was a personal me rather than a uh, collective decision so you think that is a highlight of somewhere where he absolutely made the wrong call and broke the prime directive and it wasn't for the betterment of anything i think so why i want to deep i want to dive into that a little further with you you know okay i've watched that episode once because it it did just kind of irritate me this this planet of people they were perfectly Mm -hmm. fine they were okay and the choice and then he leaves he chooses to say okay i'm going to show you that Val is is not making anything better for you and I'm going to destroy this thing that has kept your planet how it is it's kept you alive you just feed it these rocks that explode and kill people if they step on them (laughs) and I'm going to destroy this thing and then because I think that you guys should progress to even if it was early stages not even 23rd century it was like maybe they might have reached like i don't know 15th century earth i want you to progress to get to eventually where we're at even though that's going to take you years and years and years and years and then i'm just going to leave and i'm not going to tell you how and granted he could have and we just didn't see it in the episode but there's no indication that he did yeah you know there's no indication that he did and then he just left and and this, this follows the rule of there's been no follow-up. That's one of my things with Star Trek. There's just, there's certain things that happen and then there's no follow-up whatsoever on it. Mm-hmm. Like it never happened. Um, and this is one of those things like, hey, maybe fourth season, they could have gone back to that planet and seen how these people were still doing. I don't think they would have been any better off. I think they were fine mm-hmm. how they were and Kirk should have just left it alone. Okay. 
All right. I, I, I see where you're going there. I think your points are, are pretty valid. I, I guess I always kind of looked at it that um, being ruled, quote unquote, um, by, by anything that's artificial, you know, inhibits one's ability to grow. But to your point, is that a decision that someone else should make, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, they, if they're living well and, and so forth and so on. But, you know, maybe, you, you know, our, our thought process is that we must evolve, we must change, we must grow. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe it doesn't, it doesn't belong there. I think of um, Angel One, right? The mm-hmm. TNG episode, you know, they, they had pretty draconian rules there. And, um, you know, they, they kind of, they, they, they saved Wesley and that's another argument for another show, but, um, overall it's being, it's being watched over by either another being or whatever that, you know, that stealth ship is and they're there, quote unquote God, and they leave, right? They, they get their one concession and they go, they don't try to take out that orbital platform and, um, and they get to live in peace. So if if that's a, a relative comparison and I'm trying to kind of dive into where you're thinking on this, Haley, I can see your argument. Yeah. And that actually was justice. Angel oh, that One was justice? Angel One's the the female ruled planet. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry. That that's right, <laughs> that's okay. that was justice. Yeah. Okay. Well they Most were in similar are... outfits at times. <laughs> Right, Skimpy. I just remember Skimpy jogging. That's why I do TOS, Haley. That's why you're here. Keep me honest. You know, Zach would have sent some kind of electric shock through the um, through through the interwebs to get me. But you're right, Justice. Okay, but it, it, at any rate, I mean, is that yeah. kind of the direction that that you were thinking? Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's it's those things where you know, if things are fine, yes, it's not necessarily the same kind of society that you have come from or that you're evolving to and and yes in a way we want people to evolve and grow and experience things and get to the same level as us but at the same time if we have this prime directive that says we cannot interfere because these people will evolve in their own way and get to where they're supposed to be we should let them have that evolution because who you can't say that someone interfered in ours. So, no, you know, no, so, you're, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I was I was trying to, to think back, um, you know, more to did did something something happen, right? And we just know that, um, you know, the crew was in peril, right? They couldn't get back to the ship. That was one thing. Um, and I was trying to remember if the ship was in jeopardy. So <laughs> I thought it was, you know, that it was being pulled down. So they had to do something to sort of save the ship. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, okay. But, you know, the, the um, that, that goes back, I think, to what we've seen a number of times in Star Trek across the different series where if um, even if it costs you your lives, don't change the course of history, right? But um, because they they were able to keep Val from being fed, it allowed the Enterprise to get more energy and then eventually shoot Val and um, you know draw his power so that so that the ship could survive. So I mean, it's <sighs> there was a little bit of risk there, um, and it would have ended the series. <laughs> so it is one thing to think about there. So anyway, but I I see your overall point and I get it. Um, you know, they were doing their thing. 
um, they could have found maybe another way to to get away, um, but that would have been different, right? As far as where the ship was, where where the plot was going on that one. Yeah. Okay. I think I think that horse is pretty dead. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 these are the types of philosophical discussions that I think are fun to have, you know. And, and I and I like seeing your point of view on these things because it does. Uh, it, you know, people who don't listen and just want to stay right all the time. Um, which is my normal way of life. Um, you know, we, we, we need to step back every once in a while, see if this makes sense. I, I, what you say makes sense. I, I, I would really need to study that episode again. But now you've, you know, from a high level, I think you're correct. It's, you know, why, why, even, why even bother? But at any rate, I mean, bother them, yeah. you know, that whole plan <laughs> situation. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, okay. Anything else you could think of off the top of your head? Because I really couldn't come up with anything that didn't, match up to what I was saying in the beginning no um you know I mean we can talk you know we talked the Kelvin timeline I mean Kirk in that one holy moly that definitely I think you know when people think of Kirk as a ladies man and that that renegade that's I think mostly where that reputation comes in from what do you think well I think that what happened uh, during the TOS movies is what drove kind of the mindset in the Kelvin timeline so you had, you know, the motion picture where he's doing whatever he can to get his command back, right? And, you know, he, he does, he, he follows the rules, but he manipulates the shit out of them, right, to get there. Excuse my language. Uh, he did, though. I mean, he, he used his influence with Admiral Nagora to get command back of the Enterprise. He reduces Commander, Captain Decker back down to Commander for the voyage. I believe it was supposed to be temporary one way or another. Um, but that was, you know, the first time we see Kirk is he's he's pulling strings to get his command back. And, you know, I, and I thought in a, in a good movie of a lot of humility or whatnot, he wasn't ready for that command right away. His instincts were still there, but he didn't know enough about what that ship could do. In Star Trek Two, he doesn't know enough of the rules or he's getting older and he's not thinking day to day. And, you know, he, he allows um, himself to to get caught, you know, and his ship get severely damaged. And then in Star Trek Three, well, that's when the Renegade comes out, right? And and that is the term they use in Four and Five, and to a degree in Six by the Klingons. You know, the Renegade Captain Kirk, because he steals a ship, he does damage to another ship, he saves, you know, the um, he saves Spock, uh, he winds up saving the Earth, but you know, he loses the Enterprise, he loses his son. So for the choices that he made, there were prices to be paid. I didn't mean to make that rhyme, by the way. But, but I think that's where, it, you know, it's, it's like in that, in that small trilogy, in that, that, um, in that span of time, Kirk, you know, even the Admiral says, you, you made a career out of, you know, um, using logic and following orders. I mean, that's, that's why you were successful. Don't blow it. Don't, don't, don't ruin your career over this. And uh, he was willing to do that for Spock, but he he broke all the rules. So I think that's, I think that's probably where it got driven really hard in the in the Kelvin timeline. And then they took it to a whole new level, right? They essentially, from day one, you know, he he was breaking the rules and stealing cars and kind of a punk, and you know, a muffin of stud. My terms in the academy you know, sleeping with as many girls as he could, you know, to, you know, essentially, um, you know, in, in into darkness, just going nuts and getting himself in trouble again because he broke so many rules. So I, I think that, you know, to me, 
sorry to be going on such a diatribe, it kind of goes full circle in the Kelvin movies to this this crazy, very immature person who was put in command way too young, in over his head, cocky, doesn't care what the rules are because he's too good, doesn't make any sense, to learning some hard lessons. And by the time Beyond comes, you know, he's... He's Mr. He's Mr. Captain now. He's been doing this a while. He's matured. He understands what his responsibilities are. You know, he he's just um, a very clever, very mature captain. The one we saw in TOS. That's kind of how I went on that ride. What are your thoughts? No, I I can see what you're saying. I wonder if where they were going with that is just because it is the different timeline. So he's very much got that chip on his shoulder, right? You know, his yep. his dad is is dead the day he's born i mean that would give anybody a chip on your shoulder and so i i think that by the time we get to beyond it's really nice to see that i think we're kind of seeing more of that kirk that we want right the kirk that is this mature yes sometimes make makes rash decisions probably not for the best but in the end the overall return on those decisions is a positive right um and so i can see where you're saying with that i think that it could be they wanted to show that side of kirk just because we never got it necessarily so we started seeing it in older kirk in the original series films and so i can see them saying okay let's take that aspect of it and just really ramp it up yeah, 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 and and I do understand what you're saying there, as far as his 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 childhood was different, um, but but not every kid goes off the the reservation uh, when you know bad things happen. Yeah, some do, no doubt. Um, some go off the reservation and they've got the life of Riley. So it's it was interesting that they they went in that direction. I just thought that the people that were kind of writing it out just took a um, an extreme view of what the character represented. But I see where you're going, where they, they kind of put life circumstances into it and said, well, if he was, you know, he had a proclivity for this, and because of the environment he was raised in this timeline, it it came flying through much younger, uh, and, you know, he, he it took him a lot more time to, uh, to mature. I mean, he made captain out of the academy. That's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, even that whole thought and plot point was nuts, right? I, I mean— on its head absolutely ridiculous but you know put it you know it's like they say you know you you give a uh, a 19 year old a um a 400 power 400 horsepower power mustang bad things are going to happen <laughs> right yes they're not old enough to, to to handle that that kind of uh vehicle at least some aren't but you know, i see where you're going well I, I posit this to you do you think that if Kirk in the original series had been younger we would have seen more of maybe this side of Kirk so I mean we're taking this the Kelvin timeline yes his his dad is no longer in the picture um so they've they've thrown some circumstances that are different in but I mean you have to look at um most 19 year old kids these days boys are kind of cocky when they go off to school and and they have those I'm gonna sleep with this girl this night and this girl the next night and and if they are given that Mustang that's 
super powerful, they are possibly going to wrap it around a tree. You know, so do you think that if we had seen that younger side of Kirk in the original series, if he had been younger, even by like five years, we might have seen more of these aggressive, rule-breaking kind of behaviors? I would have to say no. I don't have a lot to go on, but, uh, you know, and, and since we're talking about the series and not books, we won't go into his biography and stuff because it's kind of out of bounds. But what I'll say is that if you look at the episode Court Martial, um, that whole episode was based on the fact that Kirk, as a young lieutenant, uh, even if it meant the career of his very best friend, wouldn't deviate from the rules, right? He he found, uh, you know, this, that something had not been, uh, what, in engineering or whatever it was, some circuit was left open or whatever, it was very dangerous. It was Ben Finney who did it. Um, he wrote him up. He wrote the issue up. And it cost uh, Ben, you know, his shot at being a, a commander or a captain in Starfleet. It just did. It cost him his career. Best friend, his daughter was named after James Kirk. And I could see the Kirk in the Kelvin timeline, you know, fixing it, whatnot, not saying a word to anybody, going up to Finney behind the scenes and going, you know, hey, Dopey, you know, you left this thing open. Don't let it happen again. You know, I just saved your butt, that type of thing. I could see that. But there's nothing for me to to think that um, Kirk was nothing but, uh, you know, very... I guess, diligent in following the processes, the protocols, and the procedures. You you don't make captain, you know, in the real world. Um, you, you can be aggressive. Um, you can think out of the box, but you don't break rules, right? You don't hide things. You, you follow the code, so to speak. You know, if somebody does something wrong, you report it. The idea is not to penalize, but to learn from that error, all that other stuff. But sometimes, if it's egregious enough, people get hurt. So that's why I say I... I just think the TOS Kirk was um, a, a pretty staunch follower of the rules, which is why he got his uh, promotions as fast as he did. He was brave. He was cocky, but he followed the rules. That's just my thought process. But, you know, I what you're giving me is a different scenario. Was if he was promoted earlier by five years, would that have changed? Possibly. But usually when you're put in a situation where, you're in command of something, usually before you're ready, you you tend to be more rule-bound because that's your safety net, right? You, you, you don't have to think out of the box every time if you just get, if you just open up the rule book and says, well, in Section 33, we should do this, and this is the most conservative way of doing things. And I think more people think that way when they're over the head versus, um, you know, going, going Shercock. I, I, I definitely see it, you know, coming out of the academy and captaining a ship. But if you have 10, 12... 13 years experience and you're captaining a ship, you're over your head, but you know how that ship operates. You know how it works. You know how everybody's role is supposed to be played. I just don't think you have it from cadet to captain, my opinion. No, I, I can see what you're saying. I That's why I was just curious if, and I asked that question. Uh, mm -hmm. So where do we think then our, our Kelvin, if we ever get our next film... Come on, Paramount. <laughs> I don't think it's happening. Okay, but if we did, based off mm -hmm. of what we saw in Beyond, do you think we're going to continue to see this more mature, sticking to the rules, not necessarily breaking them, crazy Captain Kirk? It's a great question. 
because uh, we we just don't know what the plot device is, right? So uh, you know you could you could argue that there were a great many early episodes of TNG that were ridiculously boring because they didn't deviate from the rules much. Right? <laughs> I mean there wasn't there wasn't a lot of elements to it. I, I, even you know Captain Picard changed quite a bit from the TV series to the to the movie series, right? You know from kind of a, a deep thinker, very practical, um, intelligent captain to, you know, uh, Rambo uh, in a spacesuit. And um, Oh, I liked Rambo. <laughs> Rambo Picard. <me> <laughs> I oh, I, I like them both. I'm just saying he changed. Yeah. And I think, you know, we kind of saw in TOS's maturization of Kirk, you know, he kind of embraced his age now when when William Shatner got a hold of the script and whatever you know he's climbing up the side of El Capitan is that reasonable for a 50 some odd year old guy to be doing probably not but <laughs> you know I, I get it um, but it's it's just kind of funny that you know for the most part you see you know Kirk was willing to take chances but I think a lot of it is because he's been there done that in his career you know he's he's kind of trying to finish things off um, leave things in a better place uh, so as far as where we would see him go in the Kelvin timeline, I could say that um, depending on the circumstance, another easy out, uh, you could see him go either way. It all depends what's at stake. You know, what what is at stake here? How do you, how do you play things by the rules and always win? Um, if you play it right, usually you will win if you if you if you don't go rogue. Um, but there are some rules that were written that didn't foresee certain circumstances and that's where it gets tricky no yeah i i agree i think it it will be interesting and i'm still crossing all my fingers and toes and everything that we get a next film but i mean in the third one he was willing to give he was ready to be done you know mm -hmm. and and so that's that's why i posit that question uh, maybe our fans can our listeners can give us some ideas what they would think uh would happen but you know, we already knew he was thinking of leaving and giving up the captaincy and and being an admiral earlier than probably what we see with the original series um, with William Shatner's Kirk. So much earlier, yes. Yeah, and so I think it's quite interesting to see where we're going to go. It, and I agree, it could very well be depending on what is threatening what. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you know he was he, he was he was bored, and he's an adventure guy, and you know the the blood got him go his blood got going through this latest adventure that he had, and that's what you know re-energized him to look at things differently and and understand the importance of his role and you know what his crew represents. So I think it was an awakening uh, episode, and so yeah, where he goes from here. I mean, if you if you go down that trope where, well, it's not that exciting anymore and he wants to get promoted into something that's um, maybe a little bit more challenging or whatever, uh, that, that's, that's one thing. But, you know, I think we're seeing the Captain Kirk we knew um, from the original series finally. We, we saw the writing, we saw the characters, you know, in, in a place uh, that, that we had gotten to in the original series and beyond, which is why it's so heartbreaking that it, it didn't do as well as it did. Um, because, you know, to me, that was that was Star Trek incarnate. And because all those pieces came together, we all loved it, you know, including the way Kirk acted and led. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. I think that 
that was very much in line with the original series Kirk. But I think that's partly why they wrote it that way is because they knew that original series fans were going to these films and they were not necessarily seeing the Kirk that they knew. But I took it with that grain of salt, okay, this is a Captain Kirk whose circumstances were just slightly different and he's younger than the Kirk we had in the original series. He's not, yeah. the, he's not the same age, so he hasn't had all those experiences that William Shatner's Kirk had already gone through by the time we started the original series, let's say. You know, you can, in your head canon, you can say all of this stuff might have happened in Shatner's past, but it just never was on screen because the show hadn't been conceived of yet. And so that's how I take it. Yeah, and I so think that's a, yeah, that's a great what, way of taking it. That's mm -hmm. what leads into this beyond and how he is in beyond, and then now it's kind of matching more with that Captain Kirk that everybody's grown up with. Hmm? Oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Haley, it's funny to me because the um, the greater, broader audience that just likes to go to movies loved the Kelvin timeline. And, you know, most of the criticisms came from within Star Trek, right? Because it wasn't what they were used to. Uh, it wasn't what it wasn't the character they knew, but a lot of people love the character itself himself. And you're right; it was, it was a different point in his life, being put in circumstances that nobody that young would ever be expected to to perform at such a high level, and he does, and so does the rest of the crew. So I, I hear you completely. You're absolutely right. It's um, it's it's a completely different, a completely different set of circumstances, a completely different character. Uh, it's just that uh, in relation to the 50th anniversary and whatnot, you know, they, they made a movie that I think allowed all fans to relate to, uh, you know, those just that really like the Kelvin timeline and the staunch original series fans and Star Trek fans in general uh, to, to really enjoy. Uh, so they, they hit it out of the park. Where they'll go with the next one, like I said, I doubt there will be one, at least in the short term. Um, but, you know, we'll see. It's, it's, it's a great question to pose. And it all comes down to, you know, the the two movies where he was a renegade and playboy and all of those different things did a lot better than the one where Kirk kind of plays himself that we know. So that is kind of a, a weird circumstance, isn't it? Yeah, it is, I guess. Um, I, I chalk a lot of that up to you. It just the timing of the film was not probably the best. Let's put it that way. Um, uh, so, I, really, what makes you say that? I'm curious. Well, I mean, you think about the first trailer was released at kind of what we could say our competing fandoms film was, right? So you have the trailer coming out before a Star Wars film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, attached to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you know, I think the hype was there, but it just wasn't hyped enough. I think that's, I think a lot of why it suffered was because of that. I mean, heck, I saw that movie opening night, and then I went and saw it again. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and uh, so, I don't know. But, but it is interesting to think of, like, it is, you know, we had the Kirk that most of us know in this film. Hmm. Well, I, um, I hear you. Uh, as I as I was saying to Zach not that long ago in a, another episode, uh, off mic or on mic, the um, they they spent a lot of money on Beyond more than they should have, 
so its profit margin was was lower. It still made a lot of money. It just was a very expensive movie to make, so therefore it didn't make a lot of profit. Uh, but it didn't do nearly as well as the other two. And and like you, I agree. I think that uh, you know the trailer came out and it was a rock video, and people were you know oh here we go again and. You know, it got a lot of negative press on that, but, you know, uh, by the time it came out in July for the 50th anniversary, yeah, they they didn't market it hard. You know, they didn't go crazy like you would expect, like they did for the other two movies. I think think Paramount in general, um, along with CBS, did a lousy job celebrating Star Trek's 50th anniversary. I mean, horrible job. Uh, This is... This is something that that should have been hyped, you know, starting January 1st and a full-on party to December 31st of 2016. They really blew um, that that opportunity. Uh, I think a lot of hardcore Trekkies and Trekkers, we celebrated it pretty good, you know. Um, but overall, uh, they, they you're right. I, I don't know if it was if it was timing or marketing or marketing and timing or whatever, but it was it was just done poorly. Because you don't have a movie that's that good do as poor as that did, but it did. And I think that, um, I think you're right. I think the trailer and its association with Justin Lin and The Fast and the Furious hurt it a lot, um, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't warranted. Uh, the movie was much better than we were led to believe. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. All right. So bringing this back to our, mm-hmm. our captain here. Do you think that, I'm going to pause with this question, do you think that having Bones and Spock in his friendship in his close circle, I mean, he he says that he has a brother and it's Spock, you know, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure Bones is just a much brother. Do you think that has helped shape who he is? Because in TOS, do we know how long, I mean, obviously he knew bones but do we know how long they had their friendship so in the kelvin timeline you know we get bones and kirk at the academy together right so Mm -hmm. we see that friendship already and so i think that kind of helps play into his decisions and stuff like that obviously um but do you think that to get back to my question here do you think that having that relationship with those two helped Kirk, maybe even off screen, you know, off screen, quote unquote, um, he was talking with them in quarters about decisions that maybe even though he couldn't go to Starfleet too necessarily, he went to them and that Mm kind of helped shape all those decisions that he made. Well, of course. Yeah. I think the, the best line in Star Trek 09, uh, from Leonard Nimoy Spock was, you know, you're about to embark on a friendship that will define you both. Um, and it's it, it couldn't have been more appropriate. Uh, you know, we're 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 only as good as the the team we have around us, and, and nobody makes it to the top alone. There are people who say they do, but I don't believe that for a second. You learn from people along the way. In fact, you learn how to do the right things from watching other people do things wrong. So whether you say that person didn't help you, that person did help you <laughs> because you say, I'm not going to do that. Uh, so I, I think that the, um, the Trinity, as they call themselves, or the fans call themselves, is a very effective one. You have you know emotions and you have logic. Uh, you know, intermixed with uh, leadership and, and bravery. And so I think that's a beautiful combination in terms of what you'd want in real life, um, whether you're captaining a starship 
uh, or you, you know you're going to work every day. You need you need people around you to to help make good decisions. You need good partners in life in order to be you know a good parent. You know we we learn from everything we see out there, uh, and of course you know we look at our trusted friends. Uh, or relatives, because they could be your closest friends to to help us along the way. So, for me, Kirk wouldn't be who he is without Spock and McCoy, and they wouldn't be who they are without without each other either. You know, they they all have um, the ability to learn from one another, and that's why they argue and they debate. You know, and Kirk is always in the middle. You know, with the the head nods and the eyebrow raises and all that everything else—it's just—it's—it's it's the perfect um, combination of of friends. You know, it's—and I'd like to say that it expands beyond those those two in the series, but unfortunately, it really doesn't. It's it's those three um, that drive it. You know, in the Kelvin timeline, they do a better job of being more inclusive of the other crew crew members and bridge uh, bridge crew. Um, to help form a bigger family, a larger, more inclusive family. But in the original series, in the original movies, it's those three, um, six days a week and twice on Sunday, that 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 make the characters who they are. No, I. That's a great way to put it. I I would totally agree with you there. Yeah, it's interesting when they try to throw Scotty in with that, and it just doesn't quite ever really work in the original series. So, no, oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that answer. <laughs> well, that's a good question. You're making me think tonight, you know, which is, which is pretty good for me, you know, uh, trying to keep me on my toes. But I'll, I guess, you know, you are. It's, it's not really the case where I can say you're relatively new to TOS anymore because you're not. But you know, growing up a TNG fan, um, was it was it different for you to see a, a smaller dynamic uh, in the original series than kind of the you know, the conference room setting of the Enterprise 01D. A little bit, it was. Um, it, it took a little getting used to, I would say, um, but I can see how it works, right? I mean, if you look at the ratio, you would expect that this ship, the Constitution class with its 400 plus crew members aboard would definitely have a smaller, I don't know, contingency group that is kind of in charge of everything and and then you look at the enterprise d and it's a thousand plus people you know you're going to need more people involved in the everyday decisions because it's not just you know crew members it's on the d it's family members and children and and there's way more at stake um involved in those heavy decisions so it was a little interesting but at the same time i i appreciate it for what it is it is nice to see in the Kelvin films that they do try to make it a little bit bigger um, than just Kirk, Spock, and Bones, but um, but it works. Yeah, it works. It definitely works. I think there's there's differences in style and whatnot, and you know even how the captain is looked upon. Um, it's almost regressive in TNG. You know that the uh, the captain is so you know at a different level and you know, infallible and all that other stuff, which, you know, I think went out somewhere in the 19th century. Uh, but, you know, it, it was kind of an odd thing to, to kind of see that come full circle. But then as the series matured, it became um, much more of a, of a command crew, uh, each, each working together. And I think, but it was very functional. It was very functional, mm -hmm. like you'd see in today's uh, fleet. 
you know, the person who runs engineering, he's the per he's your expert. The person who's running ops, he's your expert. Da 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 da, all the way across the board. Uh, in the original series, perfunctionally, from time to time, you know, they needed Scotty's expertise to to figure things out and to fix things. Um, but usually, a lot of times, you know, Spock helps him. Uh, you know, things along those lines. Like the big three kind of help everyone else kind of figure it out. And um, it was just interesting. And not until we got to Spock's brain, <laughs> which I think is ironic as heck, did we see when, you know, Spock is gone, the entire bridge crew kind of get together and problem solve. And one of the best scenes in Star Trek, I think, uh, because it's like that we should have seen more of this, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is interesting to think about that. I never considered that they were the ones figuring everything out, but there's no way that you could know enough about everything to fix everything. I mean, you do need those people who are specialists. And I loved when Scotty got to fix things. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, like I said, but a lot of times, you know, they um, they got to a certain point and it was the big three that came down to, to, to say, you know, I mean, the motion picture is great with that, you know. They're trying to get the engines in balance. Oh, when Spock comes aboard, they get in balance. Uh, in Star Trek II, they need warp drive. And Spock goes down and fixes it. <laughs> it's just, it's it's what it is throughout the series. You know, it's it's the big three. Or even you could take generations. You know, Kirk goes down and he's the one moving those panels from one section to another that's going to give them whatever they need, you know, enough shields, enough power, enough whatever into the deflector to get them out of there. That's... That's just how it worked in the original series. I will say in TNG, it was like, uh, Jordy, go fix it. And Jordy went and fixed it. <laughs> That's just how it worked. So, you know, Data helped a lot, though. He, he was kind of like the Mr. Spock where, you know, if it got too complex, Data was there to save the day. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. And But it all comes back to um, no matter, you know, the, the circle of friends, it all comes down to being the ultimate of responsibility of one person. And I think, you know, Kirk handles that responsibility very, very well through all three incarnations. He just has some tremendous learning curves uh, in the Kelvin timeline. No, I, I agree with you there. I think that, I mean, at that time, and again, you know, with the ratio and everything, it's, you've got to have that one person in charge. Right? Always. And, and whether, you know, they're, they're going to make mistakes and sometimes they're still going to be a bit of a ladies' man, um, with that girl of the week, but even that one didn't wind up being the case. No, <laughs> it didn't. We did a pretty good episode. The number to be determined later. We'll have Zach come back with that. But we looked at all the episodes, and what we really saw was a person who was very discerning, who wasn't just chasing skirts. Usually, he got um, very involved and cared very much. You know, so it wasn't just uh, you know, oh, you know, she's mm -hmm. she's pretty, you know. Come, come to my quarters, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That really wasn't the case at all. Not like it was in 09 and Into Darkness. Yeah. Not like that at all. Well, and again, I think that's that's chalked up to those different circumstances that he's placed into, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. He's in college. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, I mean, again, that chip on his shoulder. And we don't mm -hmm. have that necessarily with our original series, uh, Captain Kirk. No, we don't. We don't. We don't have that that chip on the shoulder too too much. Not until the movies comes and he's he's going to put things in his own in his in his own hands and with the help of his friends again though. Always. Always. Got to have a little help from your friends. Where have I heard that before? 
That could make a great song. Have you thought about that? Uh, I think it is a really great song, actually, already. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I figured maybe you could run with it, you know? Could kind of come up, maybe, you know, one day not only be a big, huge hit, but, you know, maybe a theme for a nice TV show. I don't know why. Just these things come to me. At any rate, uh, any final thoughts there, Haley? You know, it's it's interesting to see the different aspects of Captain Kirk. And, and when you take a look at it, yes, he is kind of brash and a little bit too rugged sometimes from episode to episode but overall his character stays pretty true to who i think they originally intended him to be hmm. yeah i mean he was definitely a 1960s leading man you know handsome aggressive all those things but i in in the scheme of things very well written and and very lovable and uh you know i, I would say that they did it right but yeah, I uh, like you. I, I hope there's a another movie, or even if it's another cast of the original series one day, uh, I'd I'd love to see it. I just don't uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But talking about Captain Kirk and his maturity levels isn't the only thing we're talking about on Trek FM. Here are some other episodes from around the network. Previously on Trek FM, Earl Grey. Well, I have a question. Why is Worf late for duty? I didn't... Was that because of the particle? They weren't even there yet. It's because of puberty and, and, you know, how kids... Uh, uh, sleep you know, extra They long? sleep more be- during puberty. Yeah, yeah. that was the idea. Oh, Basically, okay. biological de- yeah, needs. They require more energy sort of thing. Okay. All right. I didn't yeah. understand that one part. I was like, what's going on? Okay, thank you. Because I used to get yelled at all the time at that age, too. (laughs) (laughs) Richard, wake up. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) Primitive Culture. A look at history and culture through Star Trek. And how we treat our criminals is almost kind of a sign of what kind of society we are. And that's the kind of this sort of message of past tense is basically Cisco is saying that... We, things have to get worse before they get better, but this mm. is a sign of what humanity used to be like. Standard orbit. I feel really awful because, like, the Omega Glory is quite possibly my least favorite episode of Star Trek ever, and I mean, Shades of Grey exists. <laughs> I really, really, really dislike it. And, and the reason that I dislike it is because it's it's a lot of, like, the stuff that I associate with the worst excesses of Roddenberry. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. He, first, he says to uh, Giorgio, uh, my place is no longer here, in a very somber tone. But then the narration of him goes, I saw hope in the stars. It was stronger than fear. And I went toward it. And it's one of the greatest Star Trek lines of all times. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. 
or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs> yes, and use the hashtag Trek Tuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.